to get dough. Welcome to Dosed. It's a Thursday, December 15th, 1.01 p.m. here in Los Angeles. Got a great show for you today. Hope everyone's doing well. Welcome to Dosed, everybody. This is your host, Abby Martin. Thanks for that, Mike. You're listening to a track from my brother, a.k.a. Fluorescent Grey's album, Score, for a very heavy agenda. You can find that on Bandcamp. What does sex have to do with America attacked? What does sex have to do with having our two tallest phallic works of architecture, our biggest dicks, the biggest in the world, blown up? before our early morning eyes on international TV over and over again, wounding us where it really hurts, using our own planes like the castrator's box cutter to slice into our soaring symbols of virile trade, forcing a ghastly, fiery sort of ejaculation, a gush of smoke, body parts in pain, a volcanic eruption of awful beauty because beauty has no morals, a castration, a degradation, a humiliation beyond death. Though the deaths of the 3,000 are painful enough, this international, multi-billion fold humiliation is a bitter salt on our wounds. The humbling of America, the lone superpower, master of the world, the man, we're all men in America, all strong compared to the poor of the world, and we've all had our big dicks cut off. Suddenly, without warning, well, we didn't feel warned, and it hurts real bad, and we cry, oh how we cry, and we pray, oh how we pray, and we're scared, oh so scared. And we talk stupid when we're scared. We're a bunch of raving castrati. Those are the words of sexologist and Yale graduate, Dr. Susan Block, published just two weeks after the 9-11 attacks in 2001. Dr. Susie has always, through her illustrious career as a sex therapist, found ways to contextualize war, violence, and American imperialism with a very unique lens. As our guest today, Dr. Block is no stranger to call-in shows. She's actually one of its pioneers. In the late 80s, she started a sex advice hotline, which grew into a radio show and then television. Throughout the 90s, she, began, she became known for her call-in specials on HBO, where she broadcast from her bed, giving advice to callers and exposing viewers to what was considered taboo, including the first-ever real female orgasm on national TV. And she's still at it, running the Dr. Susan Block Institute, which runs a hotline as well as live broadcasts, often in front of a live audience, she is known for. She's also written three books. Her most recent, The Bonobo Way, The Evolution of Peace Through Pleasure, 
writes often for excellent publications such as Counterpunch, has produced numerous video and art exhibits, and has just such a prolific career, it's hard to sum it all up here, so I think I'll stop there. <laughs> I'm privileged to have attended some of her live shows in person with my husband, Mike, and I've even been a guest on her show. So it's really great to have you on one of my programs. Finally, Dr. Susie, welcome to Dosed. I'm so honored to be on Dosed, to be Dosed and Dose you too. <laughs> and of course, I'm such a huge admirer of your work, Abby, since 2014. And uh, also of Mike's work and your brother, Robbie. I mean, really, you are all very powerhouse and powered by love. And that's what I love about you. Thank you, Dr. Susan. That means a lot. I mean, I just want to kind of go back to this incredible quote that I read at the beginning. I mean, for the hundreds of hours <laughs> I've spent researching and analyzing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Dosed. <laughs> I mean, I can honestly say that I have never thought about 9-11 in the way that you wrote it, and it and it really is quite astonishingly accurate symbolism. Well, thank you. And yes, it was written a couple weeks after the tower's came crashing down and my first thoughts when it happened were actually very pure like everybody's oh we've been attacked and then it was actually jerry bin falwell the original jerry falwell that made me see the castration anxiety when he blamed what was it gay people and all these sexual libertines for this and i just saw his castration anxiety <laughs> as a <laughs> and I saw how horribly emasculating it was to him and then I started to see it in everyone and yes in people that aren't men too that are just Americans there is something very powerful about the notion that these towers represented just huge dicks I mean it, it really it was like the dick of the empire. I mean, it was it was the most powerful, like you said, the trading house, the financial behemoth inside of the military behemoth. I mean, it's really so many levels there of kind of this, I just the levels of like repression Symbolism. coming out. <laughs> Symbolism. It felt like personally, um, you know, personally an affront to everyone in the country, especially having that kind of male. Um, you know, just like primal fucking violent tendency of being like an empire baby. And they look like dicks. I mean, right. <laughs> two big things. Yeah, right. Rising up. Nice big ones, too. <laughs> and never collapsing, you know, until they did. Until right? they did. Until they did. Um, Susie, what, Dr. Susie, I just want to start with the obvious here. I mean, as someone who is an expert in the field, who's been doing this work for so long and who has had such an acute observation about American imperialism that intertwines with your sex work, um, would you say that America has a healthy relationship to sex and our bodies? America. Well, first of all, what is America? I mean, the natives of this land, they called it Turtle Island, and they seem to have had a pretty sex positive open attitude. I don't know. They ran around naked. They weren't strictly monogamous. There was more equality between males, females, even trans people. 
and everybody. So that's a certain level of America. Now, then the Europeans came here <laughs> and, well, I mean, brought a lot of violence. And, of course, the Puritans also. The Puritans, lots of missionaries. And Puritans, too prudish for England. That's pretty prudish. <laughs> and also very into kinky punishment. Yep. Not just anything, but, you know, spanking and whipping and hanging, too, but also these sexual punishments. In fact, I often say Spanksgiving is more historical than Thanksgiving because there really wasn't this feel-good turkey day for, you know, the natives and the pilgrims. But there was a lot of spanking and putting people in stocks, and uh, this was very often practiced uh, along with killing the natives. So there was a lot of violence, both against the natives of this land and against each other for fun. So the kink has always accompanied... Not fun for the victims, of course. I, I should say... I practice Thanksgiving here in Bonoboville in a consensual way. We often do role play of historical events of different sorts and have a lot of fun with it. And I feel that in a lot of ways, sexuality nowadays, you, you have to kind of role play and have fun and make fun of things. But back then, no, it was totally non-consensual, of course. I mean, that is interesting that the Puritans doled out punishments for like any kind of sexual perversion yet the punishments themselves were had the perversion as as part of them i never thought of it that oh, way oh yeah oh yes see sex has been ingrained in the european version of america since the foundings but it's often with a big dollop of shame Right. I mean, well, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's all what kink has always accompanied just wanton violence, you know, just the and the sexual repression that goes along with it and then taking it out on marginalized peoples and, and you know, in the era that you're talking about, of course, the native people. Um, but today, you know, sex continues to be so repressed in our society and it is the primary vehicle for almost all advertising because, I mean, and the only way that that can work is because of the repression, because of how sexually repressed we are. Otherwise, none of this would really work to sell us anything. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think people are interested in sex, even if you don't accompany it with the violence and the repression and all of that. We have a natural interest in sex. Mm -hmm. And, hey, we've been doing fan dances and all kinds of strip teases and come on since before we were human. I mean, in a way, all kinds of non-human animals do mating dances of different sorts and attract each other and seduce and come on and tease and even get kinky. Certainly the bonobos get kinky. More about that in a minute. But yeah, I mean... There is an awful lot of sex that is used in our society to sell things that aren't sex, to right. sell things that are, in fact, the opposite of sex, such as check out those sexy missiles. Hey, now, 
Uh, they are definitely produced with an eye for that desire to shoot. And that's a very natural desire, mostly in men, but also in women. Hey, women can female ejaculate. We have that propelling sexual desire too, but it is a very male energy. And of course, our whole defense industry plays on that. And so does our whole sexual gun industry. It's all playing on our sexual desires. And yeah, I mean, sex is sometimes used to sell sex, but mostly it's used to sell chocolate, cars, and war. Right. I mean, the amosexual stuff is super fascinating because we are a country that reveres, loves, worships guns. And the bigger the gun, I guess, the bigger your dick. Um, but, I mean, clearly there is this very perverse connection between America's relationship with sex and its relationship with violence. Because even though this is, you know, this happens throughout the world, there's just something very significant about being children of a global empire, the world's most powerful military might, and having things happen that we're seeing unfold today in society. I mean, 50 years you know, after we have the constitutionally protected right of a woman's right to choose being rescinded from us. I mean, this trans fear-mongering, um, the grooming hysteria, the QAnon, pedophilia, satanic panic stuff. So there's, it, it does seem like, you know, I don't know if these reactionary waves are just, just occur naturally or if there's just things are getting more strange um, yeah, in you our know, country. I, I've, I've heard about that uh you know, the pendulum swings back and forth, right? But it's given us whiplash. Come on. I mean, we are now losing rights that we had when I was young, when you were young. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, I don't think our parents' generation lost rights that they had when they were young. So there is a sense of pendulum swinging back and forth, but there's also a sense of extreme panic and there's a sex panic going on and it has its aspects in violence as well. And it's, I think a little unusual for now. And I think it's a, a deadly cocktail of cultural change Climate crises, okay, that we didn't have when we were growing up and the pendulum was swinging. We might have had swings, but we didn't have these climate catastrophes that are forcing us to swing in various ways related to our sexuality. And then we also have capitalism's collapse. So we didn't have that. And so that's another thing that's causing us extreme whiplash with our sexual changes. And then, of course, the racist propaganda is added into it, the QA nonsense. And, uh, well, the result is the world's amosexual incel population is on the rise and on the march. Right. You know, the talking about the really just mind-blowing reversal of reproductive rights, which, you know, it still is like a... It's so wild that that has happened. Um, that's really just about at its core it's about controlling sex right it's like you shouldn't be having sex unless it's for reproduction and we are going to ensure that your sex is only for reproduction yep 
I see it that way. Certainly, I've been talking for a long time about how reproduction is great and all, but sex is also for recreation. And we see this clearly in our bonobo cousins, but we also see this in non-human animals all over the world. And we see it in ourselves, how much we crave all types of sex and how much our society is narrowing our options more and more. And I see this happening on the right, of course, the religious right, and it is the religious right that has perpetrated this attack on women's bodily autonomy. Uh, this is mostly the religious right. However, there's also an attack on sex from the, what you want to call it, politically correct left. The left that wants everything to be ideal, and the ideal is the enemy of the real. <laughs> and sex is about nothing if not reality. That's the difference between sex and porn, I guess, or sex and religion, sex and a lot of things. Sex is very real, and it's full of imperfections. And maybe the left is trying to create a little bit of a perfect society, and I respect that, and I'm more in the left camp, believe me, as you know, than the right, and the right is the one that took away our rights. But I have to say, one reason there's a lot of people running to the right is because most lefties aren't sexy. You're an exception. <laughs> Um, I, I actually think that, uh, right wingers are very unsexy, but, um, I totally hear what you're saying. And, and it brings me to this quote from your article for Counterpunch about forced breeding, abortion rights, and judicial wrongs, where you talk about the sexual revolution in the 1970s and you talk about how, you know, one of the reasons straight men supported a woman's right to choose was because they were getting laid. I yes. mean, they, and it, it's so obvious. I mean, the stifling, culture of the 1950s, this notion of just you're a broodmare. I mean, we're going back to that now, but I mean, women just existed to serve men and it, the culture was all set up just for this kind of traditional, uh, you know, nuclear family type situation. Um, now you say it's the opposite. You say, quote, to a great extent, straight men are not getting laid. All of us like to take pride in our sexuality, even privileged straight dudes, but between anti-sex religion on the right and Me Too political correctness on the left, it's tough. You may not think they have anything to complain about, and they don't necessarily complain out loud, but on the right you find rage and violent aggression against women and the marginalized, where on the left you find apathy and despair. What we have is the amosexual incel revolution, and it kind of brings me to this comment in the chat based on what you were saying earlier about capitalism and the commodification of sex. It's hard to know what is authentic sexuality, especially when you're talking about this as a leftist who wants to be real about it. Right, right. I go back to that ideal is the enemy of the real, you know, authentic, authentic. What is that even? Mm -hmm. What does it mean? It's like mystic. Uh, I guess do no harm is one thing, you know, think of yourself as a doctor. Your your sexuality should not harm others unless, of course, it's kink and they want to be harmed. But that's not real harm. That's not really harm. That's just a certain type of pleasurable pain. 
and dominance and submission. It gets tricky. You know, one thing we got to keep in mind, speaking of tricky, is sex, sexuality, sexual desire is a trickster in our bloodstreams, in our minds, in our hearts. We love the trickster, just like the trickster is a beloved character in so much mythology and storytelling. And yet, is very hard to deal with. <laughs> it's, you know, you get fooled by the trickster. You, you can't get control. You just can't. And so I think there's an effort on the part of the right and the left. See, the, le- the right likes to do it through religion. And see, one reason that a lot of these disaffected guys that have not supported us feminists in our time of need, they just don't see a way to play in the left playground. They see the right, okay, there's all these rules, but there's always uh, a caveat. There's always like, you can be hypocritical. I think it's Mm -hmm. terrible. Listen, I don't subscribe to this. I don't want it, but I just say that a lot of my uh, for instance, very religious, Christian, Jewish, uh, Islamic, uh, Hindu, all the religions, all of them are very, very strict. And I say, well, what do you do? How do you have a good time? Oh, well, I just cheat. Oh, well, I just do it anyway. Oh, and they sort of see that hypocrisy is necessary to just living life. And right. it's a terrible thing, especially if you are a politician and you rule against the people out there. Meanwhile, you are enjoying that same kind of sex yourself. That's, of course, the ultimate in a bad politician, the ultimate corruption. And that's the hypocrisy, though, that people are going for because they don't see an alternative. They don't see how they can just frolic and enjoy sexuality in the left construct of paradise. It just doesn't seem to be there for them, especially for men. But even for women, I think it's it's hard for them to understand where the pleasure is, where the fun is, where's the good time at. You know, when I was a kid, I remember accompanying accompanying my draft age brother to these uh, peace marches and the biggest slogan was make love not war and that stuck with me it just made me feel like wow there's something to this I mean I know it's kind of ridiculous and of course I was a kid so I wasn't thinking rationally but I was just imagining that all these sexy earthy hippie protesters all these beautiful people making love so passionately would somehow stop the wars now unfortunately they didn't though they did stop the draft (laughs) actually but the wars Mm -hmm. got worse (laughs) they did stop the draft and i have mixed feelings about that i mean i think it's good to stop the draft i certainly for my brother at the time but for i don't know people seem so removed from these phallic missiles going off in other countries 
that the wars have gotten worse in a way. And yet I do think there is something to that idea of making love so passionately that we somehow stop the wars. Because I feel that love and kink, in a way I'm saying more, make kink not war, since love can inspire people to kill. But kink has rules that you have to follow to be a good kinkster. And no killing would be rule number one. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, that, that this sort of aesthetic is, is still my aesthetic. It's old fashioned. I admit it's not something people get. I look, in fact, to non-people for inspiration to my non-human cousins, the bonobos. And can I tell you something about bonobos now or? Can you tell sure, me Sure, yeah. No, tell me something yeah. about bonobos, yeah. Okay, well, first of all, I discovered bonobos, I hate to say it, but through television. Uh, I didn't discover them. Um, they were discovered in 1929, but I found them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a Jane watching... Goodall, a, a sexy well, Jane no. Goodall. Could... Jane Goodall. Well, I'm Jane Goodall after dark, somebody called me, which I think is a great <laughs> oh, compliment. Nice. And Jane Goodall gave me a great compliment. She said she loved the bonobo way. So, hey, awesome. we're sis does so anyway i i had just gotten married and i was just thinking how how am i gonna stay so in love because i'd been in situations where i'd fallen in love and then fallen out of love like most people and i wanted to stay in love but i wanted to be wild and i saw this great uh nature of sex episode and i really got into watching all the animals make love have sex whatever you want to call it uh, mate and it was 1993 so not much internet then and so it was really a revelation to see this nothing to do with bestiality all you perverts it was just (laughs) seeing these body parts moving in this sexual way that reflected my connection to the earth and i loved it and then i saw the bonobos and i realized these are my cousins with a lot more hair And they moved like people do. They have body parts like we have. They look into your eyes with this emotion that seems so human. They seem like you're looking into the eyes of the missing link. And they just captured me just looking at them. Then I find out, oh, they have a lot of sex. Wow. Oh, that's cool. And I had just gotten my PhD and I was like excited about sexuality, starting to do therapy. And I just thought, wow, these are great examples of how what a variety of sex you can have. Sex is recreation, not just procreation. That's cool. Then I find out they never kill each other. And all the other great apes do. Of course, especially humans, and we are great apes. But common chimp, common chimps kill each other too, and gorillas are more peaceful, but they kill each other. Orangutans are very cute, but they kill each other too. Sometimes they all kill each other, except bonobos. And I found out more about why this is, but the first thing I learned on this PBS special, it's because they make love, not war. It's because they channel a lot of this violent energy that we all have, we apes. We all have it. Rawr. They channeled it into sex and affection and 
dare I say, grooming, not the way you're thinking, you dirty <laughs> people, but something that non-human animals do to get the bugs out of your fur, but also makes you feel good. And then I learn not only do they make love, not war, and literally do not kill each other. And by the way, chimps do make a kind of war. They gang up in that mm-hmm. way. Uh, but none as bad as humans. Humans have got it just totally out, out of this world. But uh, bonobos also are female empowered. That is, all the other great apes are patriarchal, male dominated. Bonobos are female kind of dominated. Of course, because the females are in charge, they don't really dominate in that same way. Because after all, the males are bigger and stronger and they have fangs. So anytime one male wants to take out one female, he can do it. Just like the common chimp males do it to females. They do it quite a bit, you know. Not as often as humans, but they do it. Now, bonobo males hardly ever do that. And if they do, all the bonobo female sisters will gang up on that errant male and teach him a lesson. They won't kill him, but they'll hurt him and they'll teach him not to do that. And then he probably won't do that. He won't hurt a female. They teach him there's female solidarity among bonobo females. And that's very important. And you could call it sisterhood, except they're not sisters, which is also important that the females migrate when they reach puberty. This is one reason we don't worry about females having sex with their dads, uh, because they move into a new tribe and they might not know who their dad is, but they're in a new tribe. So they have sex with all the males, pretty much some kind of sex, maybe not all penis and vagina. I'll get into that a little bit. But they have recreational sex with all different other bonobos. And this is a very important political part of their power in what I call Bonoboville. Now, great, great female empowerment. And I have noticed that there are quite a few feminists uh, who have made note of that that the bonobos are female empowered and I'm very, very happy to see that. And yet I don't see any of them talking about why the guys put up with it. I mean, it's true that the females have this solidarity, but every once in a while a female is alone with a male. And why don't the males get their advantage? Why don't the males gang up? Why don't the males get together like the common chimp males do, like the human males do? Well, my short answer is they're getting laid. (laughs) And they're getting taken care of. There is this counterpart. It's not always PIV, penis and vagina intercourse, by the way. It's, in fact, it rarely is that, but it's something. It's some form of affection, some form of taken care of. The other side of female empowerment is male well-being, male nurturing. And the other side of all of this, actually, what is integral to all of this is sharing, sharing all of it, sharing all the feelings, not necessarily all the sex. You don't have sex with somebody you don't like, 
but you do kind of make sure they get taken care of. You take responsibility for the other creatures in your community and how they feel. And, of course, we don't do that. <laughs> That's definitely true. You know, and uh, you reminded me that chimpanzees, not only do they kill each other, but whenever there is a, a battle, a war between different chimp groups uh, for territory, the number one thing they do is they go for each other's genitalia. So the, the, the battlefield when it's over is just a chimp uh, penises on the ground because that's better for their natural oh, wow. selection to take out their ability of their competitor to reproduce. So yeah. pretty brutal stuff. But, you know, it's funny because I think in American culture, there's like chimpanzees are so known to us. Like they're in popular culture. They're on TV. They're in movies. They're in the zoos. They're in. It's just like it's such a thing that we have a consciousness about is like, oh yeah, this is our like closest ancestor and they're so much like us and whatever. Um, I didn't learn that bonobos existed until I was in college majoring in primatology. And like, that's when I was like, oh wait, there's this other species that is like closer to us and like looks more like us and like mm -hmm. has more. And it's just really is this, you know, chimpanzees, they do have complex and caring social relationships with each other, but it's all, a lot of it is founded on aggression and displays of aggression and not always when, like physical violence in the group, but just the displays of like who can seem the most intimidating physically. And, and everything is kind of based on that. Whereas bonobos, it's just the opposite. It's, it's that social, all of that is all those complex social relations are based on the kind of mutual care and like sexual gratification of each other. And a lot of it, times um, it's like, we rationalize the senseless violence in our society by being like, oh, well, we're just like chimps. Right. You know, we will we'll look at them, mm -hmm. you know, like that's what mm -hmm. they do. And so, yeah. War you know, is natural. Yeah. It's all natural. It's all the hierarchical structure of our society, the oppression, the, you know, the way that we subjugate everyone else. It's all just naturally occurring because they, they point to chimps. And which is so fascinating because you look at this other tree and it's bonobos who don't do that at all. Right. One primatologist, uh, one of the best, Dr. Franz de Waal, puts it this way. Mm -hmm. Chimps use violence and power to get sex for themselves. And bonobos use sex to control violence and power. For both, violence and power and sex are all related and important. It's just they have different ways of dealing with it. And some say it's because the bonobos developed in the jungle where there's abundance and the chimps developed out in the savanna where there's more predators and not so much food and more competitors. And uh, yet humans developed in the jungle too. But we spread out and we went on in different ways. And I just think that because we know we are equally close to common chimps and bonobos, and yet, and as you say, Mike, we look more like bonobos. And as another guest of yours, who's uh, who I'm very fond of, Dr. Christopher Ryan, he says uh, we seem more like bonobos because we have regret if we kill somebody. Chimps have no regret; they're very proud of themselves. <laughs> so maybe we're more like bonobos. I don't know, but we definitely have an inner bonobo that I try to release as a therapist. 
and, and a sexologist. And we have an inner chimp that is certainly much more released. And when I was in college, they didn't even teach us anything about bonobos. And the funny thing is that at Yale, there probably was a bonobo in 1929, actually, just before they announced the discovery of bonobos. Prince Chim was a chimp of um, the Yerkes Institute, Robert Yerkes. And he was very, very good tempered. He got along with everybody, really sweet. And they think that he was probably a bonobo, but they didn't teach anything about that. They taught the theory of the killer ape, mm-hmm. that the reason humans are killers, the reason we make war, the reason we drop bombs, the reason we spray bullets is because we're killer apes, and so are all the apes. And I thought, I don't want to major in primatology or anthropology. (laughs) That's why I majored in theater, you know, because I could create things that were different from reality, or so I thought. Then I find, oh, wait, in a way I was lied to by my anthropology department because they didn't tell me about bonobos. And now they're starting to, so I... I appreciate that. Yeah, and that really is the the bullshit thing about, you know, those who try to say that war and conflict is natural because we see it in our our closest ancestors in the animal kingdom. Uh when there is war and conflict among primate groups, it's it's always over the extreme lack of resources. And the only way to survive is if you have right. this really brutal competitive system where you can have access to different food ranges and mating and things like that. Our society is is not one that is based on scarcity anymore. Maybe hundreds of years ago there were, but the amount of resources is more than enough for everyone on the planet multiple times over. And so war is existing. It's really just the the competition among the tiny, tiny group of elites. Uh, But it's sold to us as, well, this is... This is just natural because countries have to be in conflict in order to take care of its populations and stuff. It's all just it's all bullshit. And the scientists that try to base it on nature is just it's just complete, you know, pseudoscience. Exactly. And there is so much pseudoscience. And then on the other side, there's religion. And this is one reason that when people come to me asking for inspiration, I tell them to look at the bonobos because it's so hard to find humans that are really inspiring in this regard. And that's not the human's fault, the individual human's fault. We're all caught up in this system, this capitalism, what uh, uh, Fabian Schneider, Schneidler calls the mega machine. Uh, anyway, we're, we're caught up in it and it's, it's got us by the balls and by the ovaries. And it's very hard to have a happy life. So we need to be inspired all we can. I want to go back to the amosexual incel revolution comment and how, you know, we're kind of in the opposite of the sexual revolution that mm-hmm. we were in the 70s. I mean, you've made so many interesting points there. I mean, first of all, just the make love, not war. It, it's this kitschy phrase that we kind of look back fondly of of the 70s and 60s and we're like oh yeah make love not war everyone's just dropping acid and having orgies and shit but it's like i mean that really is what you embody in your teachings and it does make sense because so much of the subjugation and political repression and oppression in our society is just projections about insecurity about our own mortality and about sexuality and this manifests into such disturbing ways that people just don't know how to handle it. And 
like you so much is just projection um and it's easier to cheat and it's easier to do all of these things than to just face face the truth to open your mind to really talk about these things right in a constructive way um but yeah i mean looking at you know someone like john lennon and yoko ono and bed just being like we're just gonna like just make love in this bed forever and the Vietnam War is going to end. I mean, well, I mean, because I was going <laughs> to eventually It did. worked. You know, it worked. But, but what's crazy and then like... It the, ended faster than the Iraq War or <laughs> Afghanistan. No, it's Very true, which is, which is weird because war has changed. Like you said, wars are now worse and it's this Endless. construct that's so much more abstract now because we're desensitized, we're so detached from what war means. It's not hitting us at home like it once was, but, you know, I was going to ask you, you kind of answered it for me about like how you started to make this connection, but it's so obvious. I mean, that, that was like the mantra, like that was what it it all started with make love, not war. And then you turn it into make kink, not war. You were with your brother who was trying to dodge the, not dodge the draft, but like avoid, you know, going and, and sacrificing himself for the military machine. But now going back to the notion that We've come full circle in this really disturbing way. We have whiplash with how fast things are regressing, even though things like LGBTQ, you know, um, non-binary, transgender rights, like all these things are now what I thought a couple of years ago were finally becoming mainstreamified. Now there's this huge reactionary wave that is very, very disturbing. And because the right wing is becoming so much stronger and more emboldened, not just with the judiciary, but just with, you know, all of these groups on the ground, um, the MAGA movement, all of these things. It's it's a very disturbing cocktail, and I'm very mm-hmm. worried about where it's going to go. And, I mean, I guess going back to your comment about the rage, I mean, the rage, this disturbing outgrowth of American society that is uniquely American – and maybe not uniquely American anymore, but certainly the frequency of them is the mass shootings, the gun massacres, um, the amosexual obsession in this culture. You know, the media and political establishment will always go through the same cycle when when these heinous crimes are committed by scratching their heads and saying, oh, what could have possibly caused this? And yes, there are many reasons that we can dig into, um, but I, I, I think that the most obvious common denominator is, first of all, it's men. It's all men. It's yeah, all. It's men. literally eighty percent of all violent crimes are men, but almost every single mass shooter is a man. And then the other most significant trend trend is that the men carrying out these mass violent acts are always have trends of misogyny, very disturbing things in their past, like stalking mm-hmm. or violence and abuse toward women. And it's so strange. It's like, is it because it's so obvious that we just don't talk about this most reoccurring because it's trend? Sex. <laughs> because because bottom line, they have lousy sex lives. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to say that that's important because a lot of us have lousy sex lives. But we don't shoot people. So what is that? Well, they got, a, like you say, a cocktail of other things, but right at the core is a young man, usually young, not always, sometimes it's a midlife crisis, but usually young, 
And very often they identify with the military. Maybe they've been in the military. If they haven't, they dress up like they have mm-hmm. or they wish they have. Or if they're not in the military, it's a superhero. What was that guy that was in Illinois dressed up like a superhero and the Joker? And they, they try to glorify themselves. They try to make themselves into, they go out and drag sometimes. They they go in a costume. They want to be sexual, and they don't know how. And they know how to shoot a gun. That's easy. That's what the NRA has made sure that they can do. That's what not just the NRA, but this whole society. You know, I mean, hey, the West was won at the barrel of a gun. You know, this is America. Hitler loved America because we shot our way through the the land. And that's, yes, it is all over the world, but America is, is the central breeding ground <laughs> of this kind of attitude of, uh, gun fetish, this amosexual incel attitude. And they pretty much have lousy sex lives. They don't all identify as incel and they might laugh at the term amosexual. But they hate themselves, they love their guns, and they blame society. They especially blame women, mm-hmm. maybe certain women, for their misery. And, hey, they're, you know, the bonobos show us how close a boy is to his mother. It's almost mystical. And that is the one relationship in which there is no sex. Penis and vagina sex, that is. Lots of grooming. So they could be accused of being groomers. But they, the male mother relationship is incredibly important. And, uh, and the mothers will sometimes introduce their sons to their girlfriends for sex. Uh, I'm not saying we should do this. By the way, let me just put that out there. I am not saying that bonobos in all their poly crazy glory should be a blueprint for humans. They do a lot of things that we can't do for various reasons, including the way that they live half their life in a tree. I mean, we can't do that. So we can't have sex completely the way they do. However, I think it helps for us to understand ourselves and especially to understand these amosexual incel guys mm-hmm. to pay attention to the bonobos and to what they do to kind of keep their guys chilled out. And these females are very much in charge. They are very bossy and very loving. It's amazing. And I don't know. I think we could learn something like this. And I am certainly not saying that women should have sex with incels. I am not even saying that sex workers should have sex with incels. Although I am saying that sex work should not be stigmatized. First of all, it should be decriminalized. But it should also not be stigmatized. I mean, I can't tell you how many incels I talk to who say, oh, I can't get laid. Uh. And then they say, well, how about going to the bunny ranch? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to pay for it. That's no good. That makes it wrong. Well, okay, a home-cooked meal is better than going for fast food or even to a nice restaurant, but sometimes you got to eat out. 
I mean, this is a capitalist world. We're in the mega machine. We can't always have it perfect. And paying for it, there's, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't. And I know there are some people that are trafficked and this is a terrible thing. It is a terrible thing. I don't mean to talk in a clown voice, but I am because the reason I am is that there are, there's so much talk, especially in the right wing, but also in the left wing about how these sex workers are not in control of their own lives. I guess there are a few like that. There are probably a lot more than a few. I'm not trying to minimize it. I guess I just know so many sex workers, myself personally, who love their work, who find meaning in their work, who write blogs about their work, who love their Instagrams, who do their thing, who love to service people sexually, who are proud of what they do, who are not mistreated. And yet they're just a censored and and denigrated and uh, put down and certainly their johns are and while i'm at it the these incel guys they tell me sometimes that they have fantasies about men and i go well why don't you have sex with a man oh no can't do that now we think we're all liberated about that and yet we still call men sissies we still call men pussies you know or if a man wants to dress up like a woman or something we still kind of use this denigrating talk and hey i'm not the word police but i'm just saying a lot of these incels feel very boxed in they feel that the only way they can have a good sex life is to have the cookie cutter a uh, woman who has your children and you know maybe they get into this new 21st century misogyny talk but it really is an old kind of 50s mentality and i actually think that olivia wilde lampoons it pretty well don't pay attention to the uh the gossip just see the movie and um, don't worry darling but anyway it's it, it, it's an impossible dream. It's one of those ideals that's an enemy of the real. And yet, what are we offering them? We're telling them, you can't do this. You can't do that. You you can't find love at work because you could be accused of sexual harassment. Well, but you're supposed to work all the time. Or maybe you just stay home with your laptop and then you're a pervert because you're sitting there masturbating looking at porn. <laughs> And, on a Zoom meeting. By the way, let me just say <laughs> masturbation is so denigrated. I, I'm laughing right along with you. We all laugh about masturbation. And yet it's a beautiful thing. It's a normal thing. It's something everybody does. And it's something that the incels put down and mm-hmm. the homosexuals. No fap. No fap. Yep. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. It's no fap November. And... Ah, well, there is something very interesting about the embrace of female sexuality. As much as we live in a patriarchy, at the end of the day, female sexuality is wholly encouraged and embraced. It's not strange at all. In fact, it's, um, you know, like I just said, encouraged for women to explore their sexuality with other women, um, to kiss, to have sex, to just do all these types of things where you're not even considered necessarily bi. 
if you do these things. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, who hasn't experimented with another woman at, at a certain point in your life? It's kind of like the joke of like, oh, you're mm-hmm. in college and every woman does that. But when it comes to men, it's so taboo still, even if you consider yourself one of the more open minded men. And that is very, very tragic because I I'm sure you as well. We feel like sexuality is just a spectrum. Um, and that's why it's so interesting to see this movement erupting where this consciousness is just expanding so much about non-binary, you know, gender and sexuality and all of these things are just very fluid, which is really they incredible. Are. But it's still so fascinating how constricting it is for men to be able to talk about being attracted to men and wanting to explore their sexuality with other men. And I think that that's a huge detriment and has played a very negative role in our society. Exactly. And bonobos are very bisexual. (laughs) That's part of what it happens, you know, and the guys fight. Hey, let's first establish bonobos are not angels. They are animals just like us and they fight. And yet they resolve it somehow. And, you know, we're still trying to figure out what they're saying to each other. But they seem to resolve it through a form of gay sex, you could say. Now, I see in the chat, uh, which I haven't been looking at for the most part, but here a subpar excellence says, what's wrong with, uh, now it just disappeared, but what, something to the effect of what's wrong with a guy who wants to have a wife and children. Nothing is wrong with that. And please, I'm not trying to say that anything is wrong with that. By the way, I am married for 30 years and I totally support people reproducing and having families, except I want to say one thing. There's too many people on the earth. Now, some might say, oh, but certain types of people. Yeah, well, that's already getting a little racist now. But yeah, I mean, if, if we could have all of our jobs replenished, if we would just let in some of these immigrants, uh, and refugees. Uh, so in any case, what the bonobos show us is that yes, of course, reproduction is important. That's how you continue all the species. But bonobos show us that us apes, we crave other types of sex. What's interesting. And this was shared with me from Dr. Brian Hare, who works with uh, Vanessa Woods, author of The Bonobo Handshake. And they both wrote Survival of the Friendliest, showing that Darwin, when he said survival of the fittest, he didn't really mean the strongest and the meanest and the most powerful. He actually, in a way, meant the friendliest. I can get into that in a bit. But he he told me this, and at first it bothered me a little. He says, you know, we found that bonobos... The, there's usually one male that has most of the babies. Even though the females seem to be having sex with all the males, and the males are having sex with each other, and of course the females are having sex with each other, it just so happens that the penis and vagina stuff at the right time of month, it, it somehow comes through one or two or three of the males, and the other ones aren't reproducing that much. And I'm like at first, oh, wow. Does this mean the bonobo males are really deprived? And that hurt me (laughs) and my theories. I just heard about this this year. Then I realized, wait a second. They don't know whose kid is whose. They don't, really. And they 
all act like nice uncles to all the kids. And the fact is they're all getting laid. They're all getting some type of sex. It's not all procreation. Not everybody has to procreate. Some people do. And I think, you know, as new parents, it's a lot of work if you do it right. And not everybody wants to do that work. And not everybody should have to do that work in order to be considered a decent human being, a sexual human being on this earth. And it hurts a lot of men, women too, but I think it hurts so many men because they think it's so easy. All I have to do is get a sperm and a vagina and I'll be a dad. And then, of course, it's not at all easy. And and if you do that, then, you know, you become a deadbeat dad or whatever. And it, it's. And the cycle why continues. Why do we pressure them? Why right. do we pressure them? We pressure them so much to be this Ozzy and Harriet type of mom and dad. And that's great. That's great. Hey, I love it. It's beautiful. I grew up with that. I had a mom and a dad, except I thought it was very smothering. And, oh, my God, I wanted to get away. My nuclear family felt Mm -hmm. like it was going to go nuclear. So it's not all great. It's not always great. It led to the make love, not war generation. So all I'm saying is that we should give ourselves some slack and understand that our sexuality doesn't always have to be translated into procreation. It can also be recreation. Right. And Dr. Block, I want to bring it back to the uh, this phenomenon of, of incel culture and all the ways that it manifests because, you know, like so many of these mass shootings are like a majority of them are like by incels and Mm -hmm. sometimes specifically targeting women like yoga studios, college campuses, uh, massage parlors. Like we've seen so many of these uh, even recently. Um, But just this, I mean, one of the problems I have with this, like incel to me is like a misnomer. Like I don't believe that anyone is involuntarily celibate, which is what it stands for. Like, People they believe. have a new term. Uh, let me just say, they oh, have really? a new term, Volcel, oh, for the oh, voluntary gosh. celibate. Okay. Um, Go on. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's they believe they are involuntarily celibate because, um, and, you know, through really no fault of their own, I mean, we, we live in a kind of distorted, weird society. So people believe, you know, especially like young guys who are, who are not, quote unquote, conventionally attractive or maybe overweight or maybe socially awkward. They believe that because of that, that they cannot have healthy sexual relationships. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, because if you start to consider yourself an incel for those reasons and your your anger about not getting like the hot girl that you want and all that stuff and then you then you get immersed in incel culture and you're on the message boards and this following the social media influencers who 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 cater to incels and all this stuff then your world becomes incel culture and the terminology and the philosophy and the influencers and all that shit and then and then you're definitely uh are an incel because you are not going to meet someone who wants to have sex with you if your whole, if your main hobby and main like like thing that you're into is incel culture, because then it just makes you a deeply repulsive person and someone who is not capable of having a healthy uh, sexual relationship or a healthy relationship of any kind uh, with women, because your just entire life is based on like hating women and thinking they're all all horrible. Um, there are plenty of people who are not quote unquote conventionally attractive 
or who are overweight or who are social awkward or who are nerdy or whatever, who are having extremely healthy, fulfilling sex lives. Uh, and the of reason course. is because they have some kind of shared cultural or social or interest with others and uh, good hobbies and things that they're into that they can share with another person and are part of some other kind of community and, and doing things where they're meeting other people who are like them. Um, and, and so that, that I feel like incels are just, they get poached by like these really fucked up online influencers and message boards and made to think that you cannot have a healthy sex life because of like the way you look or the way you act yeah. or whatever, when that's just absolutely not the case. And you just have to break into a, a out of that horrible, dark internet world and into things that are just like positive and good. And then you find, then you find that the healthy relationships and stuff there. I mean, you're never going to find them if you're just sucked into this fucked up internet world. So it's, it's just sad to see because so many people are susceptible to it, especially when you're young and have jealousy and self-conscious and all of those things. There's this whole media ecosystem out there just to feed on that and reinforce it exactly. and make it worse when it's just so uh, it's so possible to just break out of it and have the opposite now, kind of life. Let's ask the question we often ask when we try to understand something. Who benefits? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first level of benefit, let's talk about that, those influencers that you're talking about. And they're very real. They come out of something that used to be called seduction culture. And I remember these people that were teaching the art of seduction, men, of course, uh, when I was doing Sex Week at Yale at the beginning of uh, this century, and they were selling the idea that you can seduce any woman, you can be unattractive, no problem. All you have to do is uh, neg them, that make some negative comment, oh, or this, or that. You're talking about right? pickup artists, yeah. exactly. Seduction, pickup car culture, this culture. And I always thought, hey, this is kind of cool, you know, learning pickup stuff. I mean, I always think it's cool, the dating rituals. But then I started to see, wait a second. The problem is it doesn't work. (laughs) And so these guys that these seduction gurus, these pickup artists are getting money from, they're going to be upset. They're going to want their money back. And then I saw what the pickup artists did. They turned it around and they became the incel influencers. Mm. And this whole group of guys, and I remember seeing all these students, these male students so excited. Oh yeah, they're going to learn a trick. They're going to learn some shortcut to getting this ideal woman. And then they're going to be the ideal man. And all about ideals, the enemy of the real. And so they, instead of telling the truth and saying, hey, it's not so simple. It's not just about a pickup line. It's not just about putting a woman down and then offering her this or that. It's it's about being real with someone. It's about getting to know someone. It's about having something in common and yet a little bit of friction, a little spice, but coming back to what you have in common, you know. Uh, flirting, this sort of thing. No, they, they wanted an easy sell and 
because it didn't work. They turned it into it was incel the women's fault. Yeah, it was the women's yeah, fault. And it didn't it work. became the, the women's fault. That really. was much easier, mm-hmm. much easier. And already the pickup artist was objectifying the women a lot and making it, making the woman feel like it was her fault by saying, oh, you're missing out. And yet it wasn't quite as bad as what it's become, this incel culture. And that is, of course, accompanied by the amosexual culture that then combines and becomes totally deadly. Uh, we also have to ask ourselves, who else is gaining from this? Who else is benefiting besides these, these little influencers? And I would say the big influencers, like look at Elon Musk. I mean, he's got a whole army of incels that adore him. Mm-hmm. He's got sex. He has sex, but yet not very satisfying relationships. It seems, I don't know, but I'm not his therapist. And if I was, I wouldn't I think talk that's about clear it. that he, uh, he did give someone a horse in exchange for a hand job. So that's pretty sad. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's clear based on his behavior that he doesn't have a good sex life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 Guess, I guess so. I mean, my favorite relationship of last year was really Grimes and Chelsea Manning. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, he, he gains from right. not just who he is, but also Trump gains. I mean, from these, this army in a way. I mean, who was it in Rome? I think it was the, 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 the legend of Valentine's Day comes from the idea that the Roman Empire emperor forbade sex so that his soldiers could channel all of their sexual energy into fighting. Now, of course, that didn't work. But the idea of channeling your violent energy, your sexual, excuse me, channeling your sexual energy into violence is a very American idea. By the way, the idea of channeling your violent energy into sex is a bonobo idea because we all have violent energy. So what are we going to do with it? What do you know? Are we going to channel it into, oh God, baby, oh God? Or are we going to channel it into, ba 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 boom? I mean, hey, they both are big sounds. They're both exciting. Uh, they both make us feel alive for a moment that then disappears. I vote for sex myself. You know, I, I did want to bring up one thing that we've mentioned throughout the episode. And, you know, that's the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. And, I mean, uh, I don't know what your opinion is on this, but it, it's it kind of speaks to the just the real deep legacy of sexual repression in America from the time of of colonialism and, and the settlement by the Puritans, because I think what was considered like, you know, the the free love and sexual revolution of the time that was so revolutionary, like by today's standards would just be just like having a sex life. Um, and so like prior to that sexual revolution, it, it really was that like. You, I mean, I'm sure this existed in, in some form underground, but in the mainstream, like you didn't exactly have a sex life. You, if you wanted to have sex with someone, you just got married to like them 20. and then you could have sex and then you, you were to have, supposed to have sex with that person for the rest of your life from when you're like 18 <laughs> on. And it wasn't until that sexual revolution where there was this, uh, in the mainstream, it could be like, Hey, that's actually not the way you have to have experiences um, by just marrying the first person that you are like sexually attracted to in order to have sex with them. So I don't know what you are, uh, what you know about that history, but it, it, that's my read of it. Is that kind of accurate? 
Yeah. Let's say I think that in the 60s, people seem to want to become more open about having sex, more honest. Because in the 50s, people were having sex. They were cheating. Mm -hmm. They were having premarital sex and then getting married and then cheating. And they were having gay sex, too. And they were all cheating, basically. There was a lot of lying going on. In fact, a book came out of that time called Peyton Place. All about that. (laughs) And so there really was quite a bit of sex going on. Just everybody's lying about it. So... It was kind of the Republican way. Everybody was doing it that way. Then in the 60s, it, it started to be like, hey, you know, I, I want to be honest. I want to be honest about the war. I want to be honest about the fact that we're killing people over there and we should stop. And I want to be honest about my sex life. I want to be honest about who I am. All of this got perverted, by the way, in the 70s by like the Est movement and a lot of these movements of being honest about yourself and even psychiatry, which now gives you a lot of drugs. Um, and so I think, though, at the basis of that make love, not war was this desire to be honest about it, to open up and that in and of itself is orgasmic is exciting to be open and not always appropriate you know sometimes i tell my clients hey if you're fantasizing about your wife's sister maybe don't tell her about it you know Uh, but (laughs) there are things that you can open up about this client of mine he's just come out gay and he wants to talk to women that he was dating 10 years ago and how, what I think of that. And yes, I think he should. He's now gay and he has a boyfriend and why not come out and talk about who you are and just see if they'll still be your friend. But I mean, I think that that in the sixties and the early seventies was a, an impetus of the sexual revolution is to be more honest about this stuff. And also, of course, women were freer. We got the pill. And then, of course, we got abortion. So, right. We and, and now we got we're... more power. We got more power. And, uh, you know, we were generous with guys. We kind of, you know, I guess somewhat. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that part we could talk about how the women's movement and the sexual revolution have had this flirtation all along and still do in a way. And I know when I was a kid, I thought they went together. I really did. I thought being a feminist is about being open sexually. I learned how to have an orgasm from a book by Dr. Betty Dodson that I got from my feminist consciousness raising group. I didn't learn it from a guy, but I shared it with guys. I shared my knowledge and I just thought that they went together. And then gradually I start to hear, oh, all these guys are saying feminists aren't sexy. What happened? Feminists were sexy, but now not. I don't know. Something happened. Right. I mean, the whole male influencer culture that's feeding off of this kind of mentality. I mean, I immediately just thought of Andrew Tate this one guy who has, you know, he's super viral. He's a huge influencer and he's just super denigrates women to the point where um, he says that, you know, women like men care about women's pasts 
and the number of sexual partners they ha- they have had and that like is the most important thing in the world for a man it is like are you a slut are you tainted sexually and then it's like for a woman all they care about is like if a man's rich and their future of like will this man take care of me and that's that's how it is that's just how it is it's grotesque to say that men can just be as promiscuous as they want and women are just forever tainted and that a woman is only pure if they just it just goes back to that that thing that we're all talking about i mean it's that ancient idea of like a woman should just wait until they're married and then that's it they're just committed to this one person for the rest of their life and then they're just seen as a slut if they don't do that. And it's just really well, crazy that this guy is popular. Like, how is this guy popular? Influencer, the biggest influencer that's saying this is Sam Alito. Yeah. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Contraceptions on the to table. Tate. Yeah. No, it's true. It's like, it's becoming cool. Like, the aesthetics of insult culture are becoming embraced by a lot of young people who are frustrated sexually um, because of the alienation in our society, etc. But this has been institutionalized and systematically displayed by um, all of these conservative judges. The Supreme Court has now codified mm-hmm. this concept into law, or shall I say rescinded our legal right to not just be broodmares. Um, you very astutely point out that this is just beyond, it's beyond just like, okay, we're, you know, we're just, we just exist for the purpose of reproduction. I mean, you go into a, a a cunning capitalist critique about that this is not going to affect the rich. I mean, Roe v. Wade being overturned, this is not going to affect rich people. We already know that. We see people like Christian Walker. I mean, all these anti-abortion zealots all have mistresses that have abortions. Herschel Walker. Or I'm sorry, oh, Christian that's Walker. I'm sorry, son. that's his son. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Actually, he's a walking erection, right? (laughs) Or did he lose the erection? I think he lost his erection. Yeah, no, but I mean, he, you know, it's just the same story. It's either repressed homosexuality, it's repressed ideas of being a, having pedophilic tendencies yourself in the case of someone like Matt Walsh, um, or just people who have mistresses or cheat or whatever, and they just preach incessantly this notion, uh, this idealist notion that they do not adhere to. And you point out that the poor are going to be the victims here, just as they always oh, are yeah. with militarism, with things like this, with religious virtue signaling and the institutional application of religious doctrine is that poor people are going to now be, you know, born. Um, unwanted pregnancies are going to be forced into, you know, into having children. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who are going to serve in the military, in factories, in jails, in schools. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you make the comment like this is it's, it's forced label has a double entendre here. Yeah. Forced labor more than once, right. Forced labor to be born and then forced labor all your life. That's right. That's uh, what, uh, it, that's who it interests is the, the powers that be, the oligarchy, the, the mega machine wants bodies, wants people, bodies, 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 you know, people to die in war or just operate the war, just be in the military and, and also consume. That's a, a new thing we didn't used to have to have, but now there's all these things out there that we don't need that need to be consumed. We need to have consumers and, we need to have people taking care of 
old people, I guess, that shouldn't be paid very much, I guess. And it's, it's sick. It's a very sick thing. It's forced breeding is what I call it. And I call it breeding because it is not just forced birth, although it is that and forced labor, it is that, but it's like this making of a population. And there's a breeding that goes on for the, with the poor. Yes. Where it's, uh, it's to make, uh, troops for the military and people for the factories and consumers for the chocolate. And it's also forced breeding in the racist way so that grandma's granddaughter who wants to be gay is forced to have a baby when she just thought she'd, you know, have some sex. And now, you know, we've got to reproduce this white race or something. It's a a racist thing. I had a guy call my show when I was talking about this and he says, well, I think we do have to reproduce. I said, well, who do we have to reproduce? There's plenty of reproduction going on. If you stop, no one's going to suffer. He goes, well, my people. And gradually, of course, his people are Christian people, he said. He didn't say white, but Christian. And yes, you know, you want to reproduce your way of thinking, your your style. Um, I don't think our mother, the earth, cares about that. She ain't going to put up with that. And by the way, that is another reason that our sex life is suffering. Because our mother, the earth, is fed up with our treatment of her and is giving us lots of little diseases, is lowering sperm counts and, you know, kind of giving us a lot of pollution so that we can't breathe and giving us diseases so that we can't even kiss and be with each other and hug each other. And so there's that. Right. The eco anxiety. I mean, that just that ecological uncertainty of where what are what have we ushered into given our economic system and um, and how much we've trashed the planet. And yeah, how is that going to manifest? I mean, how what that urgency that's now added to the already low level anxiety that we just have been now broodmares being just wage slaves, I mean, living in a society that is this isolating before things like COVID, right? And I I kind of just want to bring it back to, I feel like we have to kind of just talk about trans people and this LGBTQ hysteria really quickly um, because it is so, it's happening so rapidly. And I feel like, Mm. I feel like it's hastened so quickly from, transsexual paranoia and obsession a few years ago, which already was disturbing enough. We saw the Trump administration, you know, deploy a lot of attacks against trans people, a lot of laws that went under the radar, which broadened, as we know, the QAnon, the pedophilia, satanic panic stuff. But now it seems like it's escalated so rapidly into just accusations of LGBTQ people being groomers. And at the end of the day, it seems like the core of these beliefs goes back to the consideration that anything that is sexually deviant from traditional gender norms and the nuclear family and having a, a one partner, all these things is heightened, amplified and fear against, but it's translated so much to direct against trans people because it's so much easier to fear about trans people because of how marginal they still are. I mean, they make up much less than 1% of society, but if you pull some of these conservatives, they think that they're like 25% of the country. I mean, because that's how overly inflated and hyperbolic this situation has become, where 
you can't not hear about groom. I mean, it really does seem like it's like the number one issue with this whole culture war that's taking over and now agitating toward like this kind of civil war type rhetoric. It's very, very scary to me, especially I, I mean, I live in Los Angeles, so we're in a very we all live in Los Angeles. We're in an extremely gay friendly area, but that is not true. For the rest of the country. And it's very alarming that now people feel like they have to go back into the shadows after having so much progress be made um, over the last several decades, doctor. Yeah. And just to add, I mean, we really can't overstate how quickly it has escalated into to violence and terror. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, the Colorado shooting, which was very recent. Uh, but then arson attacks, uh, the mobilization, bomb threats, the mobilization of, of right-wing fascist militia types at drag shows and, and hospitals and things like that. I mean, it's, it's so dangerous. Uh, and it's just fed by mass media and big influencers and people who claim to, to not be on the right, but they, they feed into it. And to me, it's the same that the people now who are making, it's like, they have to do it now because times have changed, right? The people that are all against trans rights and drag shows and this whole whipped up thing, they're the same people who in the 90s were the ones railing against same-sex marriage and saying that was disgusting and degenerate and weird marriages and it's just like marrying your dog. And and they had to, and then they had to even adapted because a decade or two prior to that, they were the people saying gay sex should be illegal. And that's disgusting, and you should go to jail if you're having uh, sex with someone of the of the same sex. Um, it's the same people, and it's the same thing. It's about controlling sex that that they don't like, and because they have to adapt to like kind of mainstream mm-hmm. to continue to wage their campaign of hate and control of other people's sexuality. Now they've taken uh, trans people as like the easy target, but they're literally the same people who were arguing right. for for sodomy laws, you know, thirty years ago. And because the rhetoric just easily folds into like lgbtq hysteria and grooming it you have to just realize that they are the same people they literally are oh, yeah yeah people like tulsi gabbard i mean it's you know <laughs> whoa yeah well trans people yeah they're kind of easy targets because they look so good you know they right. they they look hot they attract those eyeballs and they kind of want to they kind of come out in a way it's not something you do by yourself you might have fantasies of transitioning but when you transition you come out and so of course you are an easy target and you're this target of the same people that like forced breeding and guess what those are people men in dresses how about that? It just shows, <laughs> yes, yes, that this whole idea Good of point. what is women's clothing and what is men's clothing and what is the way that women and men have to be and drag, drag makes fun of all of that. Drag, by the way, is mm-hmm. not necessarily trans. We kind of confuse them, which is, mm-hmm. I even confuse them, even me, a sexologist, and everybody does. So excuse us all. And one thing I want to say about the left, people on the left can be very kind of haughty about other people making mistakes and, uh, and that can turn people off. And I see people getting turned off on that so we we need to be compassionate about this new world we are opening up and i love the world you know it's a very theatrical world drag is theater you know drag is probably the oldest theater uh 
people putting on the clothing of something they're not necessarily supposed to be wearing that they don't that, that's different that they that sort of brings something out of them something mystical something special and it's sexual but it doesn't always have to translate into who you have sex with drag people can be trans people but they can also be men who just put on drag to do the show and i mean you take like the, when i was growing up there were lots of drag shows that men would do and you know you just didn't think about what they did sexually they would just dress up like women i mean red skelton and comedians like that would do it all the time so most of these drag shows are still kind of funny i mean they're still like that they're certainly not about um having sex with anybody right there or I, I i i don't think usually they are but in any case they're an easy target you know our friend uh, sadistic DeSantez. by the way love the piece you did with him that's a good example of uh non-consensual kink where he gets into forced feeding see we have forced breeding from sam alito and then uh, we have DeSantis sadistically supervising forced feeding and you better believe i think he got a sexual thrill out of that i you know i just you can see uh, the lust he has in his eyes Beady and that's eyes. When, yeah i don't know it just it just feels like he gets off on sadism and a lot of these people that are after trans people get off on sadism and they see them they see trans people they see drag queens they see maybe gay people but really trans people as kind of like uh, the weak link uh, the the runt of the litter the one you can go after and that's why we have to protect our friends we we have to and there will always be forces that want to want to go after someone that's different but do we do we allow that is the question do we allow the bully to go after uh the different person i mean do we allow the proud boys to uh go after drag shows shouldn't we be out there protesting i mean i say that i'm not out in the street very much although when i was at yale i did get out there and protest brett kavanaugh who with his class uh so but we were just protesting one group of yalies against another group of yalies but people have to get out there apparently these right wingers are in the street and it's scary it's scary it is because they have guns and we have ourselves we have to we have to not be violent and yet we have to stand up for the weak and um people that need defense from the main part of culture you know trans people it seems like they're everywhere but they are a very small portion of society and uh they're a very special portion i think if we go to those native americans of this land often we see that they had a culture that that respected uh people that wanted to wear the clothing of another the other sex the so-called other gender um this this idea that only one gender does this and the other gender does that <laughs> i mean there's certain biological things yes and certain hormonal things yes but when it comes to clothing 
when it comes to who you can love, when it comes to, I mean, since we have all kinds of plastic surgery anyway in this country, in this world, why not have plastic surgery that you want? Uh, I, I guess I just see it as bullying of a group that you feel you can get away with bullying. And we all have to act like the bonobo females and have solidarity with the weak if they're not in the wrong. And in this case, of course, they're not. And sometimes they are amazingly strong. I mean, you know, they are. Uh, like in Club Q, the patrons subdued the killer mm-hmm. without killing him. Mm-hmm. And special mention goes to the courageous, thus far unnamed, I guess, trans woman or drag queen who stomped on the killer with her stiletto heel. Oh, yes. And you could see from the mugshot photo, it was indeed a heel that uh, taught him a lesson. Uh and yeah, I mean, it's, um, I have lost my thought. He's quite character. <laughs> I was he thinking comes about from the guy's family. Yeah. He's, he's got a Trumper mother. He's got a dad who's a porn star. Talk about yeah. another thing that made me go, Oh no. By the way, my bonobo theory about bonobo boys getting the recreation, my primatologist friends, Dr. Brian Hare and Vanessa Woods said I'm right. So yes, that's the reason. Just touching back to that but now i'm being hit in another place where it hurts hearing about the father of a of a killer of a mass murderer being a porn star and all i can say is i love porn stars but not all porn stars are great and this guy is really awful i mean he gets interviewed and he says he's a conservative Republican. Actually, a lot of porn stars are. And he's a Mormon, you know. Yeah, he said his, uh, he said his fear when the shooting happened. Right. He said his worry that, was that his son was there because he was gay and not because he was there to murder gay people. And, and when um, he found out was he relieved. wasn't there because he was gay, yeah. he went, Phew. Yeah. That guy was on intervention, well, um, because he couldn't stop jerking off to porn and he was like on meth all night jerking off he was like totally addicted to jerking off to pornography i didn't i didn't actually know that he was a porn star i guess i missed that part of the story but yeah, you know, it's just fascinating that all the levels yeah. of like the levels yeah, yeah. it's a lot well there. this family is quite something between the maga support for a republican california assembly oh right, right. Yeah. randy State, vocal State yeah uh, was the dad that no the, the granddad so mm-hmm. this guy comes from quite a, a legacy. And, uh, you know, these nuclear families are quite interesting what they produce. Oh, yeah. You know, that, be careful uh, what you reproduce. That reminds me of uh, my thought that I lost a, a moment ago. Yeah, that, that uh, the, the fact that trans people are such a small segment of the population now. I mean, that's based that's a, a statistic that comes from a extremely sexually repressed society where there is this campaign of intolerance and hate towards yeah. people who are trans. And so if we lived in a, in an open society where these things were just seen as what they are as natural and, and special and beautiful that I, I would imagine we'd have a lot more people who I, and that's this idea that it's part, which is what feeds into the right wing hysteria of like, Oh, it's just popular to be trans now and popular to be non-binary and children are being taught to do this and that it's cool to do this. And that's, what's causing uh, this increased numbers and all that. It's just like that there, once you do have a degree of opening and acceptance, the people are more likely to become who they really are and their true selves. And, and this is a backlash uh, against that. Well, I will agree that it is a major fantasy among the toughest guys and the most feminine women to be the opposite. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a major fantasy. And, uh, you know, who knows whether if they let the air out of the bag a little, they might not want to go all the way, but you know, you got to let people find their way. And it, it is a, a valuable service. I feel like the natives felt that, that people that come out of the fantasy, I guess, yes, I agree. There's a lot of people that fantasize. Not everybody should actually do it. Some people best left in the erotic theater of the mind, which is a wonderful place to be. And you don't let everything out of there because that's a place that anything can happen and should. But out in the world, eh, you know, you have to be careful. But some people, they live their their truth like that. And it's very valuable for the rest of us. And we need to honor them as special beings like the Native Americans of this land honored them as sort of almost like Shaw men or Shaw women. And uh, yeah, so they need a little more protection too, because they scare people. They scare people, but we can't let the fear mongers win. It just astounds me that this is what people are focused on right now. Like we are in a climate collapse. We are engaged in several wars around the world. There's the Ukraine war, which is a, at a tipping point, could escalate very quickly at any point. I mean, it's just so surreal that people are so hyper-focused on other people's sexuality and repressing sexuality. And it's just fascinating and very disturbing. Well, frankly. very profitable for the people that are running the Substacks and yes. YouTube channels and crazy, all that man. stuff. I mean, it's they're making like, tons and the YouTube channels. Panic. You know, they censor you. Of course, they censor sex. Mm-hmm. They censor me for both. They censor me for politics. They censor me for sex. They censor everything, but they don't censor guns. They don't censor these beautiful missiles. So we got all this war porn pouring forth, you know, whether it's about the war in Ukraine or the war on the streets of America. There's constant, constant gun porn, war porn, violence porn, horror movies are okay. But erotica, ooh, ooh, no, no. Yeah, you can watch like drone strikes being committed like on the um uh what what's the YouTube channel? It's like um yeah. some branch of the US military oh, that yeah, just no, like they, has yeah, all like yeah. the explosions um, that they're doing all these yeah. like raids and stuff. It's just like you just watch literal war porn constantly on a taxpayer funded YouTube channel of like extrajudicial like massacres and ex- executions of people at the same time I'll, you know i always go back to braveheart like you the, the asses were blurred out you <laughs> Wait, know what? like yeah. uh yeah yeah oh, like yeah. of uh it's just like crazy it's like you can't show an ass but you can show in some in a show like uh, the a guy's boys. eyeball popping out or like a show the like the hammer. boys well, braveheart i remember like yeah go ahead a show like the boys where like literally i mean i there's like a hundred people's just heads exploding I mean, in the show, I mean, it's so over the top, gratuitous violence, it's like hard to stomach, but you can't show someone's ass. It's just bizarre. This is why. This is why. See, if you could show someone's ass, people would be watching that. Right. And then we'd have to grapple with that. And we, what kind of ass would you be watching? And maybe you wouldn't be able to tell, is this a male ass or a female ass? (laughs) (laughs) Asses are like that sometimes. (laughs) 
(laughs) And why you're all hot and heavy. And then you're like, oh, my God, it's a man's ass. What does that mean for me? Or like how ratings, you know, ratings on movies, it's more you're more likely to get an R rating if you just show a little bit of sex or uh, yeah, like even just a simulation of of sexual activity, but then not violence. Yeah, R rating, R rating for a little bit of sex, but it takes a lot of violence to get you an R rating. Exactly. It's really the answer as to why the culture is the way we are. It's Hollywood. I mean, people got all upset about, you know, Will Smith's slap, which I thought was obnoxious and not nice. But hey, bonobos slap each other sometimes. And when you compare it to Hollywood and the movies this guy is in and all of them are in, the ones that really sell and the ones that they put a lot of money into, whether it's real violence or fake comic book violence, Mm -hmm. violence is all over the place. And they're getting help from, of course, the U.S. military all the time. That's their main consultant. So, of course, they're going to do pro-military stuff. I mean, Top Gun, their biggest movie, and that's so pro-military. It's so sexy military. Hey, don't you want to be a Top Gun? Guided by the beauty of our weapons. Remember that, <laughs> that famous quote when we were that's bombing? So I don't awful. even know the fuck we're oh. yeah. I think it was bombing. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful sight to just send missiles to just kill human beings. That's that. Very... That, no, I think it's a Brian Williams quote. Right. Or, yes. Yeah, it was Brian Williams yeah. talking he was, he was about Iraq. Leonard Cohen. There, he was oh, like right. to quote Leonard. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's oh. just totally insane. If someone brought up in the queue that the boys, um, to give the boys a little bit more credit, apparently there's tons of ass. I Look, I maybe remember the ass, but I definitely don't remember cock in the boys. Ooh. So if there is um, cock in the boys, please let me know what, because I do not remember <laughs> that at all. Please let me know what episode. What episode and what time. No, I haven't kidding. seen it. Um, I need to see it. But no, it's, it's, it's so much fucking over the top violence that I like, it overshadows if there was a flash of oh. an ass, like you can't even remember it. Because well, it's definitely more sex exploding. in shows now. It's yes. Like, it, no, definitely more sex in shows. And but more even, violence. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just shows that the it's like the pendulum swinging, but in both directions at once. Like you will have what is acceptable in terms of what you can show sexually on television now is far different than 20 years ago. Yet at the same time, we're having laws passed that prohibit sex for pleasure, essentially. Yeah, especially thinking of cable. I mean, now we have streaming services and I think the rules have changed a little bit, like where you're, you know, it's all like bendable. But like when cable, when we were watching movies on cable, it was certainly the case where it was just like you could, you know, Braveheart. I mean, again, you can show show the guy's (laughs) organs getting ripped out of his body. while. Speaking of organs, (laughs) men have such a misconception nowadays, maybe more than ever, maybe more than they ever did before in past history humans about their penises because there are no penises available to look at anywhere except in porn where they're gigantic Mm. so they all feel like maybe not incels but cuckolds they're all cuckolded by this existence of only large right Erect penises. They don't see just penises hanging out, walking around. I mean, we saw it more in the 60s because there were nudists Mm -hmm. walking around and occasional nude magazines. And you'd see normal size, everyday penises. You don't see that now at all. Or like watching porn to learn how to have sex, which is probably a bad idea when you're looking at just whatever is free on yeah the porn sites i mean let me just put out a a a word for my porn friends there's good porn and there's bad porn right there's a lot of decent 
porn usually when you like it. You call it erotica. You don't call it porn. <laughs> but it's stuff that arouses you. It's out there. Uh, and some of it has stories. Some of it has nuance. People of different bodies. People of all types. And Lord and Lady knows that's the only place you're going to be able to see sex. Because... People don't have orgies like they used to. I'm sorry, but that's one thing COVID has stopped. And there's also just not that much opportunity to see sex in front of you, except on the screen. And so, you know, if you're really interested, you've got to kind of look very hard. I guess look for stuff made by women, although there's a lot of the good stuff made by men and certainly trans people as well. But most of it sucks, just like most of Hollywood sucks, except it's more traumatizing when it's porn because it's so you don't usually see penises and vaginas and oh there they are and, and if you see it in a this very misogynistic way that it is sometimes presented it is appalling and traumatizing and it's terrible that it's out there but uh yeah there's a lot of stuff out there that's terrible there, so. there is i would say the vast majority is very terrible um i want to take calls susan i want to be respectful of your time but i want to end with kind of a shocking statistic as well as one last question um you know 75 percent of all women never reach orgasm from intercourse alone um that's pretty amazing like because of because of how this notion of mutual climax is you know always presented in mainstream culture and movies like all of these things it's just so not really when you when you really look at what the reality is it, it doesn't match up and we never really talk about these things um and so i guess I, that's just kind of an aside but you've been doing call-in shows for so long um it's really incredible. I mean, I guess because you've been doing it for so long and because we've had these waves of change in our society in terms of the sexual revolution and now the, the several reactionary waves that have responded to those waves of liberation and just in general, I mean, what are some of the most common types of calls that you get as a sex therapist? What are some of the most common types of people who are asking for advice the most common problems, what do you tell those people and what do you think that they're manifestations of? Well, let's start with what you brought up, mm -hmm. which is a call that I often get from a couple. I guess if it's a problem, the man has a problem with the fact that the woman can't orgasm from his penis being in her vagina. And maybe she can orgasm from a vibrator or from him going down on her, but she can't from him being in her. And I often teach them this little exercise where you do the thing that really gets her to come to a couple points before the point of no return. And then you slide the penis in there and then you can experience the wonderful contractions of orgasm. And a guy that has a decent, you know, ego, a decent sense of himself and likes women will go, great. That's what I want to feel. Ah, oh, that's great. Now, a guy who has a problem with his ego and a problem with women say, no, no, no. I want her just to come from me. 
And that's a real problem. And I guess I'm going to segue into some of the more common questions that I get. But that is a question I get. And it strikes me as one that kind of capsulizes, encapsulates the, uh, some of the things we're talking about on a very personal relationship sex level. And this can go on with right-wingers, left-wingers, all Mm -hmm. kinds of people. And let me just say, women's pleasure center is the clitoris. A lot more people know this than used to, including me. I didn't know this (laughs) uh, until I was 19 years old. So anyway, you should know this. This is the pleasure center, the clitoris, not the vagina. The vagina is nice and all, just like all parts of the body are nice and feel good. The biggest sex organ is what? What do you think the biggest sex organ is? Oh, oh, we're getting quizzed. Not the brain. Everybody, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you suffer. I mean, even though though I was enjoying it for a moment. No, no, no. The skin. Simply no. the skin is okay. the biggest sex organ. Just, just touch, which mm-hmm. is something we're often deprived of in our society. But anyway, yeah, um, the, the, the vagina is actually probably got less sensitive nerve endings in there than the rest of the skin. Now, if you go up against the G spot, and a lot of people do ask me about the G spot, how to find that. And Wait, really that, quickly, can all women I mean, is that so? That's not possible for all women, right? To uh, well, that's hard to say. Yeah, I kind, you know, I am not that kind of researcher that I am going in there spelunking and uh, finding out whether every woman has a G spot in the back of the cave. But I will say, if I talk to them, they can find it. Mm. So it's behind the clitoris, basically. The clitoris is a very large organ. We only touch on the outside part of it, the part that protrudes. And if you'll notice that the more you touch it, the more stimulated it is, the juicier it gets and the bigger it gets, just kind of like a penis. It is, in a way, like a penis. And the vagina isn't really like that. But the roof of the vaginal cave, most of the vagina is very smooth. The roof of the vaginal cave, if you do the come hither gesture, you find a very spongy uh, sensation and it hurts if it's not wet. So you shouldn't do this if it's not wet. But if it's wet, yeah, it feels really good. And why does it feel really good? Because it's the other side of the clitoris. Maybe you could come up with some mystical reasons. But that's, you know, and men seem to like that, that, oh, it's inside. I'm so glad I have something to do, you know. And I think in a way, I'm going to say this because I think it's very important for men to understand female anatomy and get to know it and hopefully love it. Uh, And if they don't love it, there's always a whole other gender you can love. So, you know, you don't have to love it. Just accept it. Anyway. Uh, a lot of men feel useless. It's part of the incel mentality. I don't want my woman coming from a clitoral orgasm. Well, that is the way women come. If they come while you're inside of them, 
then they're just sort of coming because you're rubbing them the right way. So maybe by accident. <laughs> or maybe they got worked up like my great method. You kind of work yourself up and then you enter. And that's a great way to do it. So that is a long answer to that first uh, kind of question. Mm-hmm. And then the most common question people ask me, though, I should say, and I always say this, is am I normal? Hmm. That's always people are worried, very worried about this issue of normality. Society is so important in our minds as to whether we're okay. What does society think? And of course, you're too scared to tell anyone, let alone ask someone out there in society. So you maybe ask a sex therapist. So they tell me about their fetish or their desire, and they ask if it's normal. They might also have a physical, I don't like to say dysfunction or even disability, but a vulnerability that we have to work with. Certainly age is a big factor, whether it's you're too young, so you come too fast, or you're too old, so you come too slow. You know, there's there's this idea that we have to control when we orgasm. There's also this idea, I don't know if this is American, but that there has to be a goal to everything. I think you were talking with Dr. Christopher Ryan about progress. I even am reluctant to be called a progressive lately, although I guess I am one. But the whole idea of progress is destroying Mother Earth we keep getting better, the growing the economy, growing the military, everything. And I think the idea of progress is hindering good sex. Because if you work too hard to have an orgasm, it's never going to be worth it. It's like you, you need to accept that you may or may not have an orgasm and enjoy many aspects of sex, not just orgasm. Enjoy cuddling, enjoy kissing, enjoy probing and penetrating and licking and all those things. And so many people that I talk to are orgasm-oriented, erection-oriented, and I'm not talking about the election, Herschel, but erection-oriented. And then this, you know, am I okay? Am I, am I okay for liking the same sex sometimes i'm married i love my spouse but i sometimes like the same sex and yes if it's a woman nowadays for now it's considered more okay although i wouldn't take that for granted ladies Mm -hmm. they can uh, start burning us as, as witches for that like the puritans used to do so right now women are not too uptight about if they want to be with a woman, uh, although there can be problems if she's married and she says, okay, I want to be with a woman. And the guy says, okay, I want to watch. I want to participate. And she's like, well, I sort of wanted to have this experience my own. And then, yeah, there, there can be a lot of problems with uh, opening up your marriage. But there can be a lot of problems with not opening up your marriage. One thing we have to accept is that sex is going to come with problems, and I'm never going to be out of a job. Mm -hmm. 
As someone said in the chat, each according to their difference, each according to their needs. Sexologist marks. <laughs> yeah. And that's great as far as masturbation goes. But when you have to negotiate, negotiation mm. is very important. You have another human being right. sometimes. Sometimes you don't. And I want to endorse not having another human being. I want to endorse sex toys. Right. I got in big trouble at Sex Week in Yale because I was I was promoted by sex toys. They were funding my uh, appearance there. But I really believe in sex toys. If there's anything that plastic is good for, it's that. And you can have nat- natural sex toys, though, like a cucumber, nature's own dildo, I guess. Uh, but use things. Just be creative and uh it's okay. Self-love September should also include self-pleasure. And May is Masturbation Month. And George Carlin said, if God had intended us not to masturbate, he would have made our arms shorter. So. <laughs> <laughs> the great George Carlin. I mean, there is something to be said. This is a whole other conversation that, you know, Christopher Ryan delves into it quite a bit. But just monogamy and the nature of humans and our evolution and i have to say that i i don't know if it's just the society that we live in but everyone that i know that is in a um polyga you know in some sort of like multi-partner relationship or has an open relationship i I don't know anyone who it works out for i've never met anyone who that has worked out for and not to say that of course that does work for many many people but it almost seems like everyone that I know that has tried that, it's been kind of pressured the other partner into accepting that. And then it just kind of ends in, in a fiery downfall. Um, but, you know, I also do believe that we are not monogamous by nature. Um, I don't even know where I'm going with that. but Well, I think it's important to acknowledge that we are not monogamous by nature and Chris Ryan's book, Sex at Dawn, goes into that. And uh, as we acknowledge that, we then decide what to do about that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to have lots of partners and love them all equally like this sort of polycule. It doesn't necessarily mean we go to swing parties. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. It just means acknowledging that monogamy is not natural. It is beneficial in this society. It works in a lot of ways. One thing we have to say is it's like sex work, really. It's like, oh, yeah, it would be great if we could all be free and everything could be free. And I believe that. I say that in a silly voice, but I do believe it. But we're not free and things are not free. And we have to set up these arrangements in order to live well and be good to each other. And so we need to understand where we come from. That's why I think we need to look at the bonobos and follow the bonobo way. And I think we need to understand where we come from as humans. And then we need to go, but you know, my sex drive isn't that high and I've been married three times and now I'm ready to kind of just, uh, you know, be with one person. But maybe I have fantasies, so I need to share those fantasies. Or maybe 
we have phone sex together, or maybe we include a toy. For some people, including a toy in your couple's sex is almost like opening it up to another person. Not quite, but it, it can be. And so, you know, there are many different things you can do. But I think the first thing is to simply acknowledge that monogamy is not natural. And then it leads you to explore just a, a real conversation with your partner about what, you know, how you can embark on maybe approaching that. Um, but yeah, I don't think yeah. that the answer is necessarily opening your marriage or relationship. It's just simply being honest about about right. what, you know, what you can embark on together. Let's take call BK um, is in the queue. Really good input from BK throughout the chat. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Hi. Where are you calling from? Oh, uh, I'm in uh, Salem, Oregon right now. Uh, cool. Yeah, thanks so much for taking my call. It's been an amazing conversation. I can't wait to uh, seek out more of uh, Dr. Susan's stuff after this. Um, and uh, Thank you. I wanted to add, one of the things that's been on my mind lately is um, kind of like a... I mean, I'm, I'm 37, uh, and I feel like feminism has just been like for my whole life like when I was like um a little girl trying to play baseball I got a lot of shit from boys and like wasn't ever given like a, a like I didn't know how to combat it it was it was like like, like I guess women were you know the, like feminism got gains but I never knew how to like defend them I wasn't given like an articulation of feminism and now that I'm like I, I feel like it's all connected um and um like Sorry if this doesn't make sense. Like, I think a lot about how like Alice Miller wrote that telling a little kid that they're better than other people is actually as much, if not more abusive than telling a little kid than th- that they are less than other people. And when I think about like a lot of like the cis men, <laughs> you know, straight men that I meet in life, I spend a lot of time at live poker tables. Um, they all seem to suffer Ooh. from this mental illness that they're better than women, you know? And like, I, I feel like, they suffer from that more you know even though obviously like women live in fear like i think a lot about this joke i heard once like that uh uh like six percent of men are rapists which might not seem like that much but if six percent of bats had rabies and there was a bat in the room we'd be like oh my god get that bat out of the room it might have rabies you know (laughs) um so it's like I, i i think that joke speaks to the fact that like we live in we have to pretend that men aren't violent to just go about our lives. Um, but also, like, I, I think that having to, like, live in that... Pre- I, I'm not trying to say, like, men are the problem. Like, um, And so I guess what I'm asking is, like, have you had any success, like, convincing men who seem like, oh, feminism is bad, that, like, feminism could be a good thing for men? Like, like how to um, kind of get that... Like it's like feminism isn't like an anti-man. Like it should be like a, uh, like we we all move forward together in like a radical egalitarian. Like you know, going back to like the like the sex at dawn stuff. Like like we mm-hmm. like most of human history has has not been this like monogamous like men needing to overpower women. Like uh, now I feel like I'm just rambling, but yeah, I, I guess I just want to be able to like talk about like where can i seek out like some feminist material that won't just be like bleh men suck and women are afraid of them even though i do you know understand <laughs> that they do and women are afraid. right 
No, I, I feel you. I feel you. BK. So I, I would say look at bonobos because those females are all feminists. They are all very empowered and they love their males. And they are all very well aware, I think, all of the time that males are violent. That violence is in all of us. Females are violent too. We're all violent, but males are maybe a little more violent. They have that upper body strength. You know, among bonobos, they have fangs. And, you know, here they have more of an interest in guns. And, you know, you got to be careful. But they're so attractive. I mean, come on. We like them. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. If you don't like men, hey, it's cool. But I, I guess the idea is like a lion tamer, you know, except it's all got to be kind of consensual. I mean, the bonobo males go along with it because, as I say, they're getting laid. But that's a catchphrase what it is is that they get taken care of and you know these guys you even put it yourself you said these gambling guys and that that's a very masculine profession i guess that gambling that risk taking you either take it all or you lose it all you know it's very goal oriented and they're like race car drivers but as you said they're suffering they're suffering and that's why <laughs> they need feminine femininity in their lives now the classic answer is they need a very feminine woman and that could be but it could also be a recipe for disaster it could be that they need a woman that helps them to be more feminine perhaps in the privacy of their bedroom i don't know or somehow that helps to bring that out of them and i'm not saying that that's easy uh, it can be easy if you've got chemistry and, but you have to be willing. You have to be willing to play. It's, it's not work if it, if you have chemistry, but it is play. And we have forgotten how to play in our society because we think that everything has to make money, that it has to be for work, that, it ha- you know, so it, it makes the work that's involved to tame the lion seem like, Oh, I don't want to do that. I just want these men to know that I'm wonderful. <laughs> BK, thank you for that great call. Sorry we had to boot you from the line, but we're just trying to move through. Uh, we're going to take two more callers before we get out of here. We're very excited to have Robbie Martin on the line. What's up, oh, Robbie? Fluorescent gray. You are muted, Rob. Hey, Robbie. Unmute yourself, You're still Robbie. muted. You got to press a little bottom left oh, corner. Come on. Mute microphone button. Can you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Barbara's barking. I, I just wanted to give you, uh, just give a shout out, um, Doctor Susan. You're you're awesome. This is a really really entertaining <laughs> episode to listen to. Um, and Thank you. I would I just, love talking you know, about cuckolds with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one, episode, that's oh, yeah, one we, subject we didn't really get into. Oh, we did, we did a Media Roots episode, yeah, with, with uh, Dr. Susan yeah. back. It was a lot of Check fun. Check it out. Um, and I was just thinking, listening to you guys talk, how cool it would be to just, like, go to my therapist and then have them make all these, like, war and weapons analogies, like, wall <laughs> therapy advice. There you go. Because, I mean, I haven't been lucky enough to, like, have a therapist like that yet. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, I just wanted to say that's awesome. And I love that you're like tying the, those analogies like into like sex therapy and like sex philosophy stuff. It's, it's, part of it's just so cool mm-hmm. to hear. So 
Uh, that's all mm. I want to say, guys. You guys are awesome. And uh, yeah, this mm. show was awesome. So thanks, mm. Robbie. Colors. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Susie, are you uh, taking more patients? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my couch is open. <laughs> thanks, Robbie. Yeah, check out that Media Roots Radio episode that Robbie did with Dr. Susie. Um, talks a lot about cuckolding and the again projection from in conservatives the, yeah. framed around in context yeah, no, of like the right wing right, using that term, the right wing hijacking the term "cuck," making it you know to to be degrading and dehumanizing when really you know people like Roger Stone engage in cuckolding and things like that. So it comes it comes yeah. with a lot of baggage there. Check it out; it's a really fascinating discussion. Uh, Mike, yeah, I think since Robbie was a quick one, let's take a let's take a couple more. Heidi, you're on the line. Where are you calling from? Ooh. I'm calling from Las Vegas. Woo! Yeah. Hi, Heidi. Hi. How are you, Doctor Block? Doctor Good. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm well. I still haven't got laid though. Aww. In Vegas? Yes, in Vegas. <laughs> you'd be you'd wow. be shocked. The the kind of people that are here are very. Um, What's the word for it? Flaky? Not shocking at all, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. Do you work right. on the strip? Or yourself out there. You work on the strip? I do not work on the strip. Uh, I mainly try to meet people through, say, like dating apps and stuff like that. I have two young children, so I don't get out much. On the few, on the few days that I have off, to be able to do any recreational activities, um, I get uh, ghosted. So that's, that's tough, my problem. Man. Aww. Kids, it's super tough. It's another fucked up phenomenon of our era, right. yeah. the ghosting phenomenon. Right. Yes, I've been hearing a lot about that. I think it's easier and easier to do. Mm. It is easy because you can just block, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and if anybody does the the tiniest wrong thing. They don't even know what they did wrong, you know. It's not even know. necessarily something you did. Could right. be their life changed. Right. Right. Yep, yep. So did exactly. you have a question? I wasn't really sure what the subject matter was. Um, I was uh, encouraged to come in and, and kind of ask, uh, like, is the intention of this type of discussion meant to be like a distraction from all of the horrible shit going on in the world? Or is it just like, uh, you know, play time we have to once in a while unplug? Um, and I guess the only other question I would have would be, have you uh, checked into Whitney Webb at all, Dr. Seuss? Heidi. Heidi called my show <laughs> last week and told me about all these conspiracy theories and different things like that. And I haven't checked into anything. And Heidi, we also had a nice conversation about female sexual pleasure and, and bonobos. You know, it's this and bonobos. You are very knowledgeable about bonobos and you're. I love bonobos. Exactly. So bonobos are very important. So to say this is a distraction from anything is kind of your crazy conspiracy mind speaking and I will not take offense at that. <laughs> Yeah, I did not mean it in an offensive way at all. I know um, you did. It's just but you said you know, it was a distraction, so that's not very nice. No, no, I just I just asked if if that was the intention was to, 
you know, like I said, unplug from the horrible shit going on in the world. Because no, like I was, I was we're, thinking we're about- plugging into the horrible shit and we're trying to teach you what to do about the horrible shit. This is not about unplugging, although sex is good, good for that. I will say sex is good for taking a vacation from the everyday, certainly having an orgasm or not just having a hug. Uh, just touching something nice is a good vacation from the stress of what we have to put up with in this world, from the news, from knowing about the mega machine closing in on us. And I know you and I have very different ideas, Heidi, of what is closing in on us. You have your conspiracy theories. I, I guess, have my own ideas. But we both feel the stress of what's closing in on us. And yes, sex is a good escape from that. But sex is also part of life. And sex is one of the reasons that we are experiencing these horrible events because we are choosing to denigrate our sexuality and elevate the violence and the war-making side of ourselves. Thanks for your call, Heidi, and good luck in Vegas. We're going to wrap up the show now, Abby. Uh, You want to take us out? Yeah. um, We had another new caller. Sorry we didn't get to you. I think you you dropped out Bidester. Hopefully next time we can get you on. Um, Dr. Susie Block, it it was a pleasure. A great pleasure pleasure to have you on. (laughs) The pleasure. (laughs) Pleasure's all around. I'm grinning with pleasure. You know, pleasure can be a conversation. It's this has been a vacation in a way, in a way, even though we're talking about all this stuff going on in the world, it's like such a pleasure just to talk and to have our voices intertwine. And uh, hopefully we gave some other people some pleasure, too. It's it's such an important topic for so many reasons, and it does nicely fold into not only the topic of our show, because there's so many dosed on discussed things or little discussed things about sex in general, but it, it does certainly intertwine with the U.S. empire, with American imperialism, with your work. You focus on that and you continue to bring that up. And that is why I admire you so much, because it is really interchangeable. You can't really analyze sex in our society without looking at, you know, the yin and the yang. How How do we operate? Why are we functioning in this way? And we have to just be honest about all these things. Dr. Susie Block, you are an incredible woman. I'm honored to call you my friend. I would love to send you some more of my artwork. Maybe that fits more with your oh, aesthetic. Yes. In um, Oh, we'd I have love some cool to get more. Naked lady You hear collages. everyone here in Bonoboville is applauding. We would <laughs> love to get more of your artwork, Abby. And, and I'd love to have uh, another invite to come to another live show. Yes. Hopefully Mike and I can yes. come attend soon. And um <laughs> Yeah, Dr. Susie, you're the best. Thank uh, you so us. much for spending time with us today. Tell us where everyone can find you. You have so many different networks going on, so many ways <laughs> to support you, so many shows happening. Like, lay it all out. Well, you can follow me on Colin right here on this network here. Uh, I'm at Dr. Susie. I'm usually at Dr. Susie on most social media, but on the World Wide Web, I'm at drsusanblock.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N-B-L-O-C-K.com. And considering how all these different platforms censor me for this and for that, you never know when I'll be here or there. So 
drsusanblock.com. And of course, you can always just Google Dr. Susan Block. And you can also find the book, uh, The Bonobo Way, on Amazon, uh, The Bonobo Way. So shout out to Captain Max. Yeah. What's up, man? Uh, he's doing you, great. I'm, Salute. I'm doing great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh shit. I've been listening to this whole thing. Oh, of man. Course. He's got a big smile on his face. <laughs> this is foreplay. For <laughs> well, uh, hopefully you guys take it away once we close out. Oh, yeah. Uh, Captain will. Max, awesome to hear from you. Much love to both of you. Keep in touch. Uh, Dr. Susie, we love you over here. So keep Love it up. you. Love you. Bye-bye. Make love to someone you love tonight, even if that someone is you. Make love, not <laughs> war, baby. Let's do it. Make love, not okay. war. Thanks again, y'all. All right. And uh, thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. Especially, big shout out to our live audience. We love you. If you didn't join live, check us out on Colin and make sure to join the next live show. Abby always posts about it on social media about a day ahead of time, but. If you get that call-in app, follow the show. That's the easiest way to find it. It's more fun live. You're in the chat. You're in the calls. You hear the stuff that we end up cutting out of the episode when we (laughs) post it. Anything could happen when it's live. Going to take you out with some more Robbie's music. Go to Bandcamp. Look up Fluorescent Gray, and you'll find this track on the Very Heavy Agenda soundtrack. Abby... Anything else? No. Make love not war, Mike. Goodbye. Goodbye, y'all.